coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. I am the fucking pilot with, uh, well, with a very special guest in the studio with me, uh, somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time about uh, some seriously groundbreaking stuff in skydiving from day one, kind of. So, well, hell, let's just get started. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? My name is Omar Al-Hejlan and I'm a skydiver. That's how you pronounce your last name. Yes, sir, it is. I, I'm not going to, I got to tell you, I've been staring at that last name for years trying to figure out how to properly pronounce it and everyone I've met has a different pronunciation. Well, you know, depending on where you come from, you can pronounce it differently. If, really? If you're French, you'll say Allégilon. I like that. All right. If you're English, you'll say Al-Hejlan. If you're Saudi, you say Lahjelan. <laughs> okay. So it depends where you're from, and you can call me anything. Al-Hegelan. Okay. Easy. So I was actually kind of close. Yeah, right, no, absolutely. Right. So um, it's it's kind of strange. This this sport lends to some some really unique experiences, one of which is having someone that's the same age as me and someone that started in the sport just a little bit before me but has been a hero. And I use that word in all seriousness because um, you and your crew back in the day were absolutely groundbreaking in everything that is now considered normal everyday skydiving. How the hell? I mean, well, first off, let's let's back way up. How did you get started in any extreme sport? All right. Well, uh, I've always been uh, extreme by nature. Uh, when I was uh, four years old, I remember playing around in my house and we were on the second floor and I took the curtains and I would, you know, being a little kid who used to watch Tarzan, I would take the curtains and I would put my feet on the window and I would push off the window and get back on the window and push off the window (laughs) until, of course, one day what happened? Smash! I went through that glass window and I'm hanging outside from the first floor into the void, come back in and as soon as I swung back in, the curtains broke. Thank God Ooh. I fell inside and not outside. Ooh. But basically, I've been extreme in that sense. And uh, I remember I used to hate school when I was a little kid. Right. I mean, I, I, I couldn't stand it. One time we were going to school and I'm like, dude, I don't like it. I opened the door and I just jumped out. <laughs> Literally, the car, I mean, the car wasn't going that fast, but it was rolling. Fast enough. <laughs> so uh, th- I think that was my intro to uh, extreme sports. Your parents must have loved you. Uh, they loved the heck out of me. <laughs> I drove them crazy. I bet. But uh, but skydiving, I'll tell you the story of how it started. Yeah, I'd please. always wanted to skydive. It had been something that I'd wanted to do, but somehow it just never happened. You know, the, the gods weren't willing. It just hmm. didn't happen. Every time I, I tried to look into it or sign up, something else happened, and I, off I went into a different uh, sure, direction. Sure, sure. Until one day I was in D.C. and a friend of mine who was a hairdresser and was cutting my hair. He's like, guess what I'm doing this weekend? I'm like, what? He goes, I'm going to go do an AFF. I'm like, what the fuck's an AFF? He goes, it's an accelerated freefall course in skydiving. I'm like, no, you're not. He goes, what do you mean I'm not? I go, we are. <laughs> and awesome. The, and the rest was history. Awesome. I mean, the bug got me. So Big time. Is it, do you, your first jump was an AFF? Yes, sir. Oh, that's awesome. Well, actually, no. I had I had done a tandem maybe two years or three years prior to that. Okay. And then I did my AFF, and I swear to God, Rich Dean, as soon as I landed from that first jump, although I, although I landed on my butt, right? I stood up, I threw my hands up in the air, and I said, I was born to do this. <laughs> See, my whole life, I'd always been very envious of right. like athletes and musicians and so on. I'm like, people who got to live off their passion. Sure. Meanwhile, I had just gone through the steps, you know, graduating from high school, graduating from college, right. going to work and so on, and doing a job that I didn't particularly care so much about. I was an investment banker okay. and a stockbroker, pretty much. And uh, all of a sudden, here I was. I did my first jump, and I'm like, I was born to do this. A stockbroker. I finally found it. You were a stockbroker. International equity dealer. Holy if you shit. want the, the clean word for it, or the you know, the it's PC. it's so funny because I've talked to uh, so many people now and asked for backstories and, and tried to figure out how people got into the sport and the lifestyle and everything because it very much is all encompassing. And I'm always shocked to find out where so many people have come from. Normal respectable, you know, um, professional, you know, careers that have just chucked it all. Completely. So stockbroker, I never would have pegged it. Yeah, from from the day that I dumped, man, I just dumped everything, sold everything and moved from a really nice apartment in D.C. into a trailer in uh, Eloy. (laughs) 
<laughs> my parents were like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I have no doubt. they Well, because you were probably meeting all expectations up to that point and then took a left turn. Yeah, I was doing all the checks. I had checked all the, all the boxes, ticked all the boxes that they wanted me to. And then all of a sudden I said, I'm out of here. You know, what's funny. I think we, we were a very lucky generation and that we, we had the ability to do that. There was enough wanderlust in us left over from our 60s generation parents that uh, it wasn't that hard for us to go, oh, fuck this. Absolutely. And I came, you know, my, it was, uh, it was this duality between my father, who was a career diplomat, who was, was extremely strict <laughs> and my mother that was extremely open. Wow. And so she would, you know, she would uh, mediate everything. But even she looked at me like, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? And what made it even worse was that here I was, okay, I came, like I said, from the financial background. Right. And, uh, yeah, I was cocky at the time. Probably still am. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I'm doing my AFF and I think I'm at either my second or my third jump. And I go to my instructor and I'm like, listen, these jumps are pretty easy. Can we just like do two? Can we prepare two courses at a time, two levels? And he starts laughing. He calls his mate over and they're laughing at me. They're right. like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, look, you've got me prepped for jump number three. Can you also prep me for jump number four? He goes, what for? I'm like, well, let's say we go do jump number three. I do everything. You give me a thumbs up. Then I do everything on jump number four. What do you think? <laughs> and that's how I did my AFF in five jumps instead of eight jumps. Awesome. Awesome. And then what really made everyone nuts was that here I was, I had probably 10 jumps and I was at the drop zone, St. Mary County uh, drop zone. It was owned by Kevin Gibson okay. at the time. I don't know if you know Kevin Gibson. He was part of the USPA Parachutist Magazine, I believe at the time. Mm. He was a writer for them. Really nice guy. Awesome, awesome, awesome guy, really, mm. to be honest with you. And uh, I started watching videos. So I'm like, what competitions are there? What is there to do? And I started watching, you know, accuracy competitions and uh, four-way, eight-way. And then I fell on freestyle. Mm. And I looked at that and I'm like, dude, that's it. I'm going to be a world champion freestylist. And everybody's laughing at me because I'm telling everybody, dude, I, you don't understand. I'm going to be a world champion at freestyle. They're like, yeah, whatever, dude. Why don't you just get your A license first and then we'll talk. Right, right. And same with my parents, my family and friends. I, I was telling everybody, guys, I figured it out. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a world champion skydiver in freestyle. <laughs> they're like, what are you talking You're gonna about? You're going to be a what? You know, they're like, enough of that, dude. Right. But, <laughs> yep. And, uh, and you know what? After 11 months of my AFF. I did the first competition. It was at the time, it was a pro, not the pro tour, but it was, uh, oh God, what was it called? It, it was a world championship, but it wasn't part of the FAI at the mm. time. It was run by Pete McKeeman. Okay. And uh, I took second place. In 11 Olaf, months. In 11 months. We missed the gold medal by one point. <laughs> Marco, Mana, Marco Mana and Bruno Broken beat us by one point. He was the returning champion. And it was, to me, it was just incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, you, the, actually, the the first time that you and I ever actually really met was in 98 during the U.S. Nationals in Elsinore. Right. Uh, and you were competing in freestyle. But exactly. I I was new in the sport. I was I think I was just under two years in the sport at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, just kind of getting my feet under me, so to speak, and uh, was competing in sky surfing. And you had always been, along with uh, all the rest of the, the crew, free flyer exactly. you know that was all i knew you as you were the one in doing the splits shirtless and carving all over the place in these beautiful head down carves and these amazing photographs in very iconic gear at the time so when i saw you on the plane doing freestyle like what What's what the he hell doing? is Omar doing freestyle for? Because in my mind, freestyle was a bit of an antiquated uh, part of skydiving in that it still got lumped in with freestyle accuracy, all the classic you know, right. stuff. Right. And then I saw a video of your round and I went, oh, I get it. <laughs> because you were mixing freestyle and free flying. Well, that's how it really evolved. Right. If you want to really peel, peel the layers of the onion and see exactly when our modern day free flying really started. Mm. It was in the summer of 1994. Olaf Zipser and I had created a team yep. and uh, we were training for the world championships and uh, he brought in his ex-teammate, his ex-video uh, man, Mike Vale. Yep. And so the three of us kept doing a dozen, 15, one day up to 22 jumps a day mm. in trying to push the limits of freestyle and three-person team, what became free-flying. Right. Olaf was mainly concentrating on learning the head-down position and not learning, but I would say mastering sure. the head-down position. 
I was working on mastering the head up position, the stand up position, mm. and Mike Fail was just trying to figure out how to film this whole thing, this right. whole craziness of these two guys trying <laughs> trying to each come up with their own thing. Right. And that's when all the moves came, the foot to foot, the mind warp, the compressed, uh, all these moves that today people just take for granted sure. were invented as we sat down and we were debriefing and we we're trying to figure out, hey, what, what should we try on the next jump? What should we try? Well, how can we sure. do this? How can we do that? And that was the birth of today's free. Oh fight. yeah, I mean when I when I got into it, I started jumping in '96. So by then, Chronicles was out, and, and right. uh, uh, I spent uh, more than a few nights in my buddy's trailer, crashed in in uh, uh, Paris Valley, stoned off my ass, watching you know copies of copies of copies of VHS tapes mm -hmm. of Chronicles one, and trying to figure out what the fuck are these guys doing and you had this beautiful head down carve hands on hips and and just all this flawless stuff and it was again you and zipser and veil and and, and, uh, and uh, charles bryan and uh and uh, teti mantenango mm. i mean it was it was a big group oh yeah well and it's it's funny because that's the who's who of my entire skydiving generation is this this is who you looked up to. I actually I always wanted to ask you, is it weird to have guys that are basically the same age as you with this hero worship? Because it happens. It's gotta happen a fair amount. I mean we're in a weird time now in skydiving where there's a younger generation that probably doesn't know who the hell you they, are. They have no clue. But then there's a bunch of guys like me that are like, don't you know who that is? I did that recently with you. You were on the drop zone and one of the younger kids that's only been in the sport for a year or two didn't know who you were. And I'm like, that's Omar. Who's Omar? I'm like, the Omar. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I don't know what that is. Yeah, but you, but you got guys like me. Yeah, but you, you have to understand that I don't look at it that way. Mm. I, I mean, as much as, yeah, it's nice for the ego, but I don't, I try not to feed the ego because... Sure. I believe that it's just such a group effort, and I believe that everybody has it in them. Mm. I was just at the right place at the right time, and that's why I'm fortunate. Sure. Um, yes, I, there was a lot of hard work. Yes, there was a lot of reasons why I became – where I got to the level that I got to. But I, I honestly put it more on other people. Mm. I put it more on being in the right place at the right time with the right people, with the right philosophy and sure. with, the, with the right attitude. Sure. You know, don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, it was great because at the time in Eloy, as we were creating, developing all this, we'd have all the guys from California come. So Eli and Fritz mm. and uh, Mike Ortiz, uh, Rob Harris, Joe yep. Jennings, they would all come to Eloy. Yep. And we'd start working together and we'd, we'd feed off of each other. And everybody was trying to figure out what everyone else was doing right. and trying to learn. At the same time, I remember uh, meeting Alaska John for the first time. I mean, <laughs> right. he was greener than green at right. the time. He, he had just started. He bought my very first uh, rig, actually. Really? I, I had my first rig that I ever bought was a Vector, and I ended up selling it to uh, Alaska John, <laughs> who now, as everybody knows, is one of the heroes of the uh, Red Bull Air Force. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the leader and the hero. It's so wild, because I think back, and in, in, again, uh, I was lucky enough to start in a time when everything was really popping off, and it wasn't brand new. It was really already pretty developed. Um, in 96, you guys were already nailing stuff down pretty good. But I I'd watch those Chronicles videos and think, all right, a lot of this stuff, the ground footage, I always thought was hilarious because I'm like, well, I love the hype that they've put in it, but some of it's got to be hype. But then I got deep into skydiving and went, no, nah, nah. it must have been that wild. <laughs> it, I mean, it was a crazy time. It had to be. And, and that, that was part of the beauty of it all. It was the Wild West. Yeah. You have to understand, our group, at least I know for a fact myself, I went to Eloy because I just wanted to dump the quote unquote the real world. Sure. I don't want to have anything to do with the real world. Sure. I don't want to have anything to do with the laws and rules that apply to the normal world. Right. I wanted to be out there. I want to be in that place, in a state of mind that will help you sure. create what you are going to create to be the person that you want to be, to be free. Sure. And that's why it's called free flying because it's yeah. all about that free spirit. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's um, it, it was funny because uh, your guys' personalities would come through quite well in these videos. And, and it, if you're not a skydiver, it's difficult to see how watching someone jump out of an airplane can show off their personality. But um, Olaf always came off as very calculated and very detailed. And you always came off as very zen. And I mean, granted, pictures of you in the lotus position will definitely paint that picture, but you always came off that way. But is that how you entered it? Because, I mean, you, you say you started out right from the get-go going, I'm doing this, guys, yeah. which is it's a fair amount of ego. Maybe not ego, just a shitload of confidence. Shitload of confidence, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. I was super confident, and that had to do with uh, my whole spiritual metaphysical side. 
for many years before I got into skydiving, I started learning and studying metaphysics and spirituality and doing a lot of internal work. Mm. And I knew the concepts of meditation and uh, visual uh, visual meditation, guided meditation, and having the, the whole fact of perception, projection, reality. Mm. I understood that early on. And that's what helped me guide into the focus, into the vision that I had in a very zen uh, way. So coming from the this financial background and out of college and everything, you start doing the metaphysical studies and, and looking a little bit more inward. Do you think that that was a big part of what aimed you towards something like skydiving? It's very possible. I knew that I wanted to get out of Dodge and go live a free life. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's exactly what I did. Well, and I'm sure you more than most will know that, you know, have the same opinion for me. Uh, skydive is a 60-second meditation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's very much living in the moment, which most people don't ever get to experience. That's what I always tell everybody. It's like live in the now. How do you live in the now? Go to a skydive. You'll understand. Yeah. Because yeah. there's not, nothing that goes through your mind in those 60 seconds and that free fall time other than what you're doing. Right, right, which is absolutely incredible because most people like me, most modern people, their brains never shut off. And I'm still victim to that to this day, even at my age. When I'm on the ground, my brain doesn't switch off. Um, but as soon as I jump out of an airplane, there's only one thing going on in the world. I'm skydiving. Yeah. That's it, which is amazing. So that must have been um, pretty... I hate to use the word enlightening for you, um, especially having been studying all this stuff yourself already to make that jump and realize, oh, wow. And that's, and that's why. That's why I landed through my hands up in the air and said, this is what I was born to do. I understood. And to this day, I tell everybody the same thing. I wish I could live up there and spend the time that I live on do on the ground up there <laughs> right. and reverse it. Oh, yeah. Because I am so much happier. I'm so much better. I'm a better person. I'm a better soul. I'm a better everything up there than I am sure. down here. And in, in religious terms, it's the closest I've ever been to God. Sure. You know, and then that's what it's all about. It's uh, it's rough, isn't it? Because you 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 get into the skydiving world, and in uh, when you're just out fun jumping and having fun with your friends and making these jumps, life seems pretty simple. And you paint a, a mental picture of yourself in one regard, and then you get out in the real world, and road rage kicks in, and, and bills that did, you didn't expect, and all this crap, and you just start beating yourself up so bad. It's very difficult to balance both. Yeah. I, you, I'm sorry. And, and you learn from one and carry on to the other. Sure. To the, ex, to the next. Because I'll explain to you what I mean. It's all about perception. Mm. If you can understand that you have the choice to choose what perception to an event you take. Mm. For instance, you just mentioned road rage. Mm. Okay, let's say someone cuts you off. Man, you're pissed off. And the guy gives you the finger to boot. Now you just want to chase him down. You feel like just hitting his bumper with your bumper and, you know, going after him. Yeah. Well, let me, let me put it this way to you. Let's change the perception. Instead of being mad at the guy because he just cut you off and having that vision, that perception that the guy's an asshole, mm. why don't you visualize this? The guy just got a phone call and his kid's in the hospital. Sure. So now you've changed the perception. Now you don't know which one's real. Sure. But you internally have changed the perception. And now all of a sudden, you know what? You have no more anger towards that person. Sure. Because now you feel empathy for him. So we can do that in every stage of our lives. Sure. We can always, it's always up to us to change the perception, to live the life we want, rather than to fall prey to all the steps that we usually do and the perceptions, the old perceptions that we used to have. Sure, sure. Well, and uh, uh, skydiving definitely has done a lot in regard to trying to push that to some degree. I found it's uh, kind of a double-edged sword, though, because I found I can be so happy in one respect that way, and then so pissed off in another, uh, it's just this constant, <laughs> constant battle of how come it can't just be like skydiving, right? <laughs> you know, how come it can't just be like Let jumping? Let me just make it that way. Yeah, come on, <laughs> you know? it's uh, And I think that's probably a lot of what draws people to skydiving. I think that's also what draws people to the um, extreme lifestyle on the ground as well. I mean, you came up in a time when it really was the Wild West and, and skydiving really? from – from 95 up through 2005, 2006 was if you were a full-time skydiver on a big drop zone, you were jumping your ass off, you were partying your ass off. It yep. was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. And it was wonderful. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible, but it didn't exactly lend to the whole real world stuff for a lot of people. No, not at all. Yeah. And that, that's why it was a sort of escapism. Yeah. 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 Which was wonderful, but it was kind of our own version of the 60s in that eventually it was going to end. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
luckily for guys like you and guys like me, I was able to transition into full-time skydiving and flying throughout the entire thing. Um, but there's a lot of guys that, uh, oof. They couldn't. Yeah. And, and that was rough for them. We're, we're very blessed. Yes. And, oh, you know, yeah. I, I count my blessings every day, man. Well, and you've been able to, I mean, you went on to, let, let's actually, let's get the accolades out of the way. Um, competitions and, and medals and stuff, you guys. Basically, we, uh, with Olaf and Charles, we won the first four steps of the Pro Tour. So there were four legs uh, throughout the U.S. and Europe, mm. and we won all four and became the SSI Pro Tour champions, which was on ESPN at the time, yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. And uh, so that was the accolade in terms of uh, free flying. Then after that, in freestyle, I had the World Cup, yep. the World Championships, the World Games, and the World Air Games. <laughs> the, the one that I'm the most proud of would be the World Games, and mm. I'll explain why. Because the World Games are all the sports that are recognized by the IOC, the right. International Olympic Committee, yep. but aren't included in the Olympics. Right. And so it was the closest that I could ever get to winning an Olympic medal. Sure. And so having won a gold medal there for me was, okay, I've, I've gone to the top. I can't get anything bigger or better sure. than that. Sure, sure. And uh, so, yeah, so th those are all uh, then in uh, free flying with uh, Steve Curtis and Tim Strauss. Mm. We ended up winning uh, the European uh, Championships in free flying. We also won the U.S. Nationals. So we, we, we did pretty well. Yeah, I'd say. And, and I'd, I didn't mention his name. You know, my hat's off. And my, my, my soul always is with Orly King, mm, who left yeah. us a few years ago. Yep. And uh, with him. He and I were able to win all those medals in freestyle. Sure. You know, he was he was my hero. He was my video man. He was my companion. He was my partner. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near sure. what I did. Because it's very important. People need to understand. They, they think that the performer is a world champion. No. It's a team oh, event. Yeah. You know, if you don't have a great cameraman, guess what? You're not going to be a world champion. Sure, it's a two-man event, and both are equally responsible for those accidents oh, yeah. and for that. Oh victory. yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of of Orly and, and uh, um, the rock stars of the day, especially coming up through a time when so much experimenting was going on uh, between you know the freestyle turning into free flying and uh, sky surfing going through the roof and all that. Yep. You just like I have have watched and lost way too many people over the years. Too many but yeah, way way too many. But you, because of the circles that you were running in, were were with the guys on the cutting edge. I mean, they were the ones pushing the limits for everything. At what point did you? And I've talked about it with other people before. Every skydiver, I think, has a uh, I like to call it a come to Jesus moment. Um, am I a skydiver? Can I keep doing this? And it's usually a fatality of a friend or something yeah. like that. Did you have one of those moments where you had to sit down and decide, can I keep doing this? Or was it always just a, this is who I am, I'll deal with it? No, I, I, I never really looked at it in that in, ter in those terms. Mm. For, for me, it was, I do what I do and I keep on doing it. Mm. You know, my, my heart's bled many times. Oh, yeah. Many tears have been shed, but it was tears for them. You know? Sure. Yeah. No. And I think I was the same way as well. But uh, um, there was there was never any uh, question as to the answer. Am I? Can I keep being a skydiver? Yeah. I just was. Yeah. No. I, exactly. I was just a skydiver. I think you know where it came mostly was my family and friends. Mm. You know, they'd hear me complaining and crying about so and so dying and so and so passing away and so and so, and they'd look like, well, isn't it time you stopped? Haven't you had, haven't you had enough jumps? Yep. Didn't you get enough medals? Haven't? And I'm like, no. This is who I am. This is what I do. That's the toughest I, part, right? Dude, I, I hope that I'll be freaking 95 years old and still jumping. Yeah. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm alive that, in those days. Look at Lou Sanborn. You know? Come on. Look at Lou. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's, that's, that's what I hope and pray for. For sure. For sure. Now, how did uh, – stepping back a bit, how did the, uh, how did the clowns come up? How did the, what was the idea behind that? Free Flight Clowns was uh, Olaf's idea. His, his first team with Mike Vail, when he was actually originally uh, world champion in freestyle, mm. because not many people know that, he was a freestyle world champion right. when I met him. And uh, that summer, actually, interesting story. Let's, let's back up a little please, bit. Please, please. So this Kevin Gibson in Maryland, who was a DZO and uh, took really good care of me at the time and my progression, comes up to me when I had like, Less than 250 jumps. And he goes, Omar. And he had taken my logbook and he opens it up and shows me the back page. He goes, listen, we've taught you everything we can teach you. It's <laughs> time for you to spread your wings and fly. <laughs> and he basically sent me to Deland, Florida mm. to meet up with uh, Tamara Coyne. 
Okay. And so I went over there, started jumping. And then, uh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't to the land. He sent me over to, uh, hold on, what was it? No, no, it was, I'm sorry, it was the land. Okay, cool. And, that, and that's where I ran into her. And uh, I started jumping with her, but we weren't really in the same uh, frame of mind. We were totally different mm. in terms. So I, I learned quite a bit from her. But then I got the opportunity to run into Olaf. Mm. And Olaf had just won his world championships. <laughs> and he was interested in forming a team to be the best cameraman. His his uh, video flyer, Mike Vale, had yep. gotten the accolade of best video man. And Olaf, who had already gotten world champion, now wanted the best video man. So he was actually looking for someone to partner up with. Wow. At the time, I was doing some jumps and Orly King was jumping with me. And he showed Olaf some of our footage. And Olaf was intrigued. We ended up meeting, and we decided to form a team. Since I was interested in learning freestyle, I would hire him as a coach, mm. and uh, he wanted to be the best video man. He would film me. It was a perfect marriage. Sure. So we decided to go. This was in, uh, uh, God, it was end of 93. Okay. And so in 94, we decided to go and meet up in April in Paris Valley. So he takes his RV, he drives up to Paris Valley, <laughs> I, I take my flight from D.C., I go to Paris, and here we go. Day one, rain. Day two, rain. rain. Day three, rain. Day four, we're like, what the hell are we doing here? Everybody told us it was going to be beautiful, we're right. going to jump, why are we here? So we pick up the phone, and people, the, the, the manifest girl to this day tells a story like, you know, these maniacs are calling me. Why? Because we end up calling Eloy. We're like, hey, what's the weather like? They're like, beautiful. You guys jumping? Yep. Can we make a thousand jumps next year? She's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and she hungs up. So we're like, listen, let's go to Arizona. Yeah. And that's how we ended up living in Arizona. Oh, wow. We were supposed to live in Paris. We were supposed to train in Paris and we ended up in Skydive, Arizona in Eloy. How funny. Because of that. Well, now, so at the time, uh, Eloy was uh, was a um, kind of just a medium-sized drop zone at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, they were just starting. And, yeah. And this was exactly the same time that Dan BC mm. decided to start Airspeed. Yeah. And that's exactly the same time that Olaf and I showed up in Eloy. It was the same time that Dan BC and John Lemming and Kurt Werner and uh, Mark Kirkby and uh, who am I missing? Gerard was out there, yeah? No, Gerard came after. Okay. Um, uh, Johnny. Johnny. Uh, ah, it'll come to mind. Anyway, yeah. the original Airspeed members, right. they all started training at the same time that we ended up, and we were in the same hangar. So, And the east side of the hangar was Airspeed, and then the west side of the hangar <laughs> were the Free Flight Counts. And that's what we're going back to the original question. Yeah, yeah. How did we come up with the name of the Free Flight Counts? Olaf was already doing that. He had his freestyle team with Mike Vale, was the Free Flight Clowns. Okay. And then when we formed together as a freestyle team, we kept the same name, the Free Flight Clowns. Sure. And we kept going that way. And then uh, again, when we made the Free Flight team, it kept the same name, the yeah. Free Flight Clowns. Well, and it, uh, I mean, obviously became famous in, infamous more more yep. likely in skydiving yep. for sure. It's funny because I've talked to Craig Gerard and Dan BC and all of them talk about the, the golden era of Skydive Arizona. Sorry, John Eagle. There you go. There you go. You knew it would come. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, it had to just have been the most incredible time. But did you, did you know when it was going on, this is, this is going to be something? We knew that it was, we knew we were scratching the surface of something pretty amazing. And, and I'll tell you one of the most disappointing and happiest moments of my life hmm. in terms of skydiving. I remember one time, uh, Mike, no, excuse me, Charles Bryan, Olaf, and myself hmm. were walking to board the, we were going from the hangar to board the plane. And there was a group of uh, RW guys, you know, the guys in their, you know, middle-aged guys, <laughs> like, you know, like to talk, like to throw All some right. shit here and there. And I hear one leaning over and whispering to the other guy, obviously loud enough so I could hear it. He goes, those guys are just a fad. They're just going to burn out just like Sky Surf did. You just wait and see. Right. And I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? Guess what, motherfucker? Yeah. One day, every single skydiver that finishes AFF is going to go straight to free flying and not to RW. Oh, yeah. And you know what? My uh, my wish, my dream came true. Oh, yeah. Because nowadays that's what happens. Oh, yeah. I think uh, uh, half of the jumpers only spend time on their belly when it's pull time. Yeah. 
you know, um, it, they have I, to. Not that long ago, we watched a, a staff jump trying to build a, a larger formation, and some of them were fantastic, and others were really struggling to fly a formation on their bellies because they just don't spend any time on their bellies. They just never do it. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's uh, it actually comes back to the '98 Nationals. Maybe or maybe you won't remember this because you and I were on the same airplane. It was uh, Mary Tornamasi and I were sky surf. Right. Um, right. It was uh, Tanya and Craig. Yep. You were freestyle. And then I think it was Arizona on the plane, mm-hmm. all in one load. Uh, and I think we were two or three rounds in. Arizona's in the back doing their, you know, dirt dive. Eyes closed, gloves on, doing all this stuff. Head bumping right, left and center. Yeah, absolutely. And Tanya, and I'll, I, I quote it, but I'm, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing, said something along the lines of, hey, airspeed, don't fuck it up. To which we all laugh and they were horrified. And it really highlighted, especially at the young age I was in, in uh, skydiving, the difference between the mentality of, of that eight-way team and freestyle and free fly and stuff. And uh, um, as I was coming up, free flying was a dirtbag sport. You know, I mean, it was along the lines of the climbers that would go live in the valley in Yosemite and, exactly. and you know, eat off scraps and shit. Basically. The dirtier your jumpsuit, the more fucked up your rig, chances are the better flyer you were because you were just beating the shit out of it. Um, and that's kind of when you guys started, but you guys put a, a lot of style into it as soon as Chronicles came out. And um, the style that you guys put out there became prevalent in skydiving almost overnight. I mean, yeah. as soon as Chronicles came out, everybody was wearing the, at the time, the baggy free fly suits right. and delivering pizzas all over that's the place. It. That's <laughs> it. That, that's all we knew, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you do the best with the information you have. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. what we knew at the time. At the time, this is what was working. And so we were delivering pizzas everywhere. And Absolutely. we didn't have the balloon suits because you know what? We needed that crutch at the oh, time. Oh, yeah. It worked. In the same way that people used to use balloon suits. And now look at them doing RW with very tight suits. Absolutely. It's just that progression, that education that has to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I mean, it couldn't have been a quick progression because you're in the time well before wind tunnels. Way before. You it know, took us thousands of jumps yeah. to come up with stuff that you can learn in a week in a tunnel today. Yeah, one jump at a time. Yeah. You're just 45 seconds of free flying yeah. at a time to learn skills that people can go knock out in a couple of tunnel sessions. Think about it. On a great day, if you can make 12 jumps, you got 12 minutes of training. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> on a great a, day. Give, give me a break. I mean, compare that to what you can do in a tunnel today. You can get half an hour. Boo. There you go. It's insane. That's 30 jumps right there. It's insane. You know, I, I uh, interviewed Olav uh, a while back, and, and uh, he believes that the tunnel will inevitably forever change skydiving and not necessarily in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I agree with the, the negativity in that respect because I think skydiving will always be a huge draw because there's no replacement for stepping out of the plane and seeing that view. Um, but as far as skill level goes – if you don't have the money to pay for tunnel time, you will never be as good as the little kid rock stars. Oh, absolutely. It's insane. Absolutely. And and for that, I think it's amazing. Yeah. Personally, I don't like the tunnel. I don't enjoy flying in the tunnel. Mm. My pleasure is derived from being out there in the open, being in the now. Sure. Because you can't really be in the now in the tunnel. I mean, no. you can, but it's not the same. Nowhere near. Not when somebody that's a dramatically you better know? flyer than you is right outside the glass <laughs> watching everything you. you're doing. <laughs> You know, but when you're in the air, it's just you and nature. Yeah. It's you and this void. It's you and this controlled suicide up until you pull, you know, your pen. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, the the tunnel, I think, uh, opens uh, doors for much younger flyers, which is amazing. Um, I interviewed uh, um, the Kennett family a while back, and their daughter is an amazing tunnel flyer. I think she actually just uh, uh, won gold medal in the the Air Games, I think. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 Just, but it's, I mean, it's incredible watching a 12, 13, 14 year old with skills so far above what I can do um, and so far above what, you know, you guys had pioneered. It's got to be cool for you to see shit that you guys came up with being pulled off by little kids in a big windy tube. Dude, absolutely. It's incredible. It's amazing. And and, and it doesn't stop at that. I mean, I'll I'll tell you, I met uh, Fred and Vince. Mm. You know who Fred and Vince are. Uh, The Soul Flyers. Soul Flyers and Rocket or Jetman. Jetman, exactly. Well, I met them when they were Packers in Vichy. <laughs> we were at a boogie, and they were 15 and 16 years old. And that's when a friend ended up coming over to Eloy to be a Packer for my school. Oh, wow. And so there is nothing in this world that makes me more proud mm. than to see what these guys – they're living legends. Sure. 
they're incredible. And seeing that progression and seeing how those guys have evolved, dude, it makes my heart so happy. That's so, a, that's so yeah, absolutely. Watching these little kids doing what they're doing in the tunnel today, all it does is bring joy to me. Which is another really amazing part of skydiving because although there's competition in skydiving and, and you know, you, you want to win the nationals, you want to win the worlds, you want to do this and that. At the end of the day, people are just stoked to see a skydiver pulling off something badass. Absolutely. You know, it's absolutely. Uh, um, that's where I learned how to get rid of ego to some degree because I, I learned a long time ago in this sport, I will never be the best at anything in this sport. And I'm okay with that because I love my position in the sport and I love seeing what other people can do. Um, I aim towards base jumping with a lot of that. Um, they're doing shit in base jumping that just is mind blowing. It absolutely floors me and I will never base jump. I never have, I never will, but I am so amazingly attracted to what they can do. Yeah. Um, it's, it's insane. So yeah. it's, you get to really just love what everybody else is doing in the sport, which is incredible. But it, you know, talking about base jumping, what mm. they're doing, that proximity flying, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. But then you look at the list oh. of top dogs, dead. Oh yeah. Dead, dead dead and you're like okay how why yeah. these are guys at the top we're not talking about the yahoos that are trying no. to get their you know 15 seconds of fame on youtube yeah you're talking about guys that have been doing this all their lives and this is where i sometimes i draw the comparison to the mid 90s mm. when we're having a lot of fatalities swooping. because of swooping yeah exactly and people used to do hook turns and then hook turns got got, got uh, how, how should i say not canceled but you know were seen in a in a bad way and yeah. basically we understood that that wasn't the way to fly your canopy by stalling one side but rather accelerating your canopy into right. the turn and then always having full flare and yep. the full power of your brakes um I think to to a certain extent, <coughs> the the manufacturers are somewhat I wouldn't say responsible, but I think that they could help mm. in taming down the fatalities by maybe trying to see and trying to explain the equipment. And so instead of coming up with a new wingsuit every six months or even less, I think in some in some cases, mm. maybe do a little bit like what PD and other canopy manufacturers did, which was try to help educate, try to explain, try to only, you know, put, put limits of how many jumps you should have before you could uh, try, uh, give educational courses and help explain because we did have that problem sure. with canopy flying. Oh, yeah. You know, with the, the high-performance canopy canopies and i think to a certain extent we pretty much eradicated that sure it's still through education yeah through education and i think the same thing is eventually going to happen with uh, wingsuits i think so too i think the uh, uh the progression uh, and again I, I count my lucky stars that i came up when i did because i started uh, skydiving when everybody was frapping in uh you know on spinettos of course stiletto was mm -hmm. the new insanely fast canopy at the time where in, in a genius marketing move, you had to have a certain number of jumps before you could even okay. buy one. Right. Amazing marketing. Because of course now everybody wants to have one of these and the, uh, the gray market, I'll, I'll call it for, uh, you know, as secondhand stilettos was huge. Yep. Um, so you yep. had guys all over the place that were getting a hold of canopies way before they should have been on them. Uh, and so many people were frapping in that when I started, I, I shied away from high performance canopies for a thousand jumps. Uh, I only started to downsize and get a higher performance canopy because I was shooting tandem videos and I was having to struggle to beat the tandems down, you know? So, uh, I took a very, very slow progression in that. And then finally, after probably four or five years, at least of the fatality rates being through the roof because of canopies, you started to see canopy courses popping up. Exactly. And it was guys like Brian Germain, Germain. you know, that. yeah, uh, who I just talked to recently, who is he in his own right is the godfather of canopy courses. 100%. You know, he was the man you talked to. And then I was lucky to uh, be out in uh, cross keys in 03, 04, 05 when Heath Richardson, who at the time was PD's wonder boy. Um, and you'd get to, you know, take little snippets and lessons from guys like him. Um, but now with, you know, the flight courses and all this stuff, it's almost standard procedure that you go through a canopy course, right. which is amazing. So hopefully the, the wingsuit um, evolution starts to go that direction as well. And, and a shout out to uh, Brian Germain because I want to – not only did he do and he is helping – with his canopy courses and so on. But you have to understand that he was at the beginning of free flying as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the guy is a badass, has always been and will always be. 
Hey, Brian. Oh, yeah. You know, it's I've got a funny story about Brian Germain. I was flying for a, a drop zone in California, and I knew the name Brian Germain. But uh, this was... I mean, social media was there, but I wasn't big into it. And there weren't a lot of people that were huge in it like they are now. So I did not know his face. Okay. And I'm flying for a drop zone on the road and he walks up and um, tells me, hey, we're going to need this, 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 and this for flying. And me uh, being the pilot with a bit of a pilot ego was like, who the fuck are you? Tell me what yeah, to do. Yeah, don't tell me what to do. You come up and ask me what to do. And I was pretty blunt about it. And he just kind of, in his very germane way, was pretty polite. And, oh, okay, sorry about that. And goes and tells me what he wants and walks away. And somebody's like, dude, you know who that is? I'm like, no, I'm, I don't know. He's that's Brian Germain. And I'm like, oh, I just told Brian Germain to fuck off. <laughs> Brian, we love you. I <laughs> yeah. just want you to know that. Oops, oops. Well, cut to, I think it was the next year I ended up having to spend the night in a hotel room with him because we were both subcontracting for the same drop zone. So I there think we mended fences to some degree. Or he didn't remember I told him to fuck off, in which case now he's like, God damn, that son of a bitch. <laughs> One of the two. Listen, knowing him, he forgot about it. Oh, yeah. He's got nothing well, but love in his heart. He's such a Zen guy anyway. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. he, you and he are actually a lot alike in that you're really diving inside to try and figure a lot of this stuff out, and which is which is awesome. Exactly. Now, all of this has led you to some really unique opportunities and, and businesses because people ask, and I'm sure you've been asked just like I have a million times, how do you skydive for a living? Yeah. How, people pay you to use gravity? What is this? Yeah. So, Can you believe it? But you found amazing ways, um, not just unique in general you know, jobs, but unique in skydiving. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit? Well, I've been very fortunate in that throughout my career. I was one thing led to another, which led to another. Mm. So uh, having reached uh, the level of becoming world champion and FAI world champion led me to set up in uh, set up a school in Eloy. Set up a school in Eloy meant free jumps, meant uh, guaranteed number of jumps for the various teams that I had, mm. and the opportunity of making money by coaching people and having a staff to do that as well. That, in turn, led to uh, being invited to Dubai and going over there to jump. And then since then, I've done, you know, sometimes you have to wheel and deal. You have to figure out how to do things. Sure. You know, sometimes we go in the sponsorship route. I'll give you a perfect example. I had this dream of mine to jump in Antarctica. I had always wanted to dream. I always wanted to jump there. Mm. I had already jumped in the North Pole. Okay. That was really cool. I got to do that. But now I wanted to jump in Antarctica. So after about two years of talking to people and trying to figure out how to set it up, I had finally found a way to do it. But the price tag was astronomical. Mm. And so I tried to go the sponsorship way. And I went, I looked for sponsors, and they're like, yes, yes. They, they drug me along for a whole year. And then at the last second, they're like, oh, sorry, we can't do it next year. So then, okay, so I lose another year, but right. I'm so hopeful for the next year. And then they're like, okay, let's do it again. And uh, we I, again, we build up towards the next year. And then they're like, no, we can't. Oh, there, I've lost another year. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to have to reprogram, change the perception again. Right. So I changed the perception. And I'm like, okay, how can I do this? All right, maybe I'm not going to get paid for doing it. But at least I'll find a way to pay for it. Sure. And so what I did was I found clients. Mm. I found enough clients who were interested in doing it so that once I took these clients over there, my slot would be for free. Sure. And that's what I ended up doing. And I had the most incredible time going to Antarctica. First, getting to Antarctica in and of itself sure. is an incredible thing. Oh, yeah. And then after that, being able to do three jumps, it was just amazing. Oh, it had to be. Just beyond incredible. Nothing but white everywhere, peaks, you know, <laughs> to the right and to the left. And right. then you have this incredible vistas and jump. I mean, my, and I could deal without the minus 50 degrees. Sure. But other than that, it, it was freaking amazing. <laughs> uh, that's one thing. Another thing I was very blessed was I was invited the very first year of uh, the Everest Skydive, which mm -hmm. was in 2008. Yep. And so uh, having been part of that team in 2008, I had to skip the next three, four years because I went to Dubai to mm. help establish Skydive Dubai. Sure. But then after that, I started again in 2013. And every year since, I've been jumping over there with an incredible team of jumpers from, you know, Tom Noonan, Wendy Smith, uh, Doc uh, Ryan Jackson, 
just an incredible team. You know, we have uh, the head, the owner of Explore Himalaya, Suman Penny, who is incredible. Mm. And basically, we've been having an, a blast. I mean, you know what it's like. You've <laughs> yeah. you've gone trekking over there, so you can imagine. You know what it's like. Oh yeah. For for our viewers who uh, or our listeners, I should say, yeah. who haven't um, who haven't been there, the thing about uh, Everest skydive is that the first four days before you even get to skydive, you get to go through the most incredible trek through oh, the yeah. Himalayan through the Combo Valley. Oh, yeah. And that in and of itself is priceless. Oh, yeah. And so when you add to that the possibility of doing a halo jump where you take off at 12,500 feet and land at 12,500 feet, it's just insane. Yeah. yeah. And I'm blessed that I get to go do it every single year. Yeah. And that is amazing. I mean, you you can tell us a little bit about your experience when you, because you just came back. We saw you. Oh in the yeah, mountain. no, it was incredible. That was actually one of the really cool highlights of of that entire experience for me was being able to come back down out of the mountains exactly at the time you guys were coming up yep. into Namchi Bazaar right. uh, to do the jumps. Uh, and it was really really cool to be able to see the operation that I had talked to Tom Noonan about. I interviewed him uh, quite a while back, and and uh, the trek to Everest had been on my list for 23 years, uh, you know, to be able to go up there and see that and to be able to link that with the life that allowed me to be able to do that in the first place was ridiculous. It was super, super cool. And especially for you, the Himalayas and that experience have got to really link into the spiritual side of things for you because it's, it's that whole place just reeks of spiritualism. It, it really does. It, it oozes of spiritualism. And, I, and I'm not the most uh, namaste kind of guy. <laughs> a little bit too high strung for namaste on a daily basis. But after the first few days of being a little uh, weirded out by that much, I fell right into that rhythm. And the, just this sweet, casual, not fake smile. Everybody sees fake smiles every single day. Uh, the cash register that just doesn't want to deal with you, but smiles because they have to. Uh, the banker that smiles because they have to. All that shit we're programmed to see these fake smiles and react in a fake way True. and then you get to some place like nepal where people are genuinely Gen smiling isn't and it beautiful the, i think the first two or three days my mentality was still very western it was what the fuck does this guy want apprehensive yeah, yeah i'm like yeah, i don't yeah. trust anybody that's just smiling at me he wants something he's going to try and sell something to me okay. and then by, by about day four i'm like they're just genuinely nice. Yeah, they're <laughs> so, genuinely happy. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about it. Yeah. They're nice because they're happy. It doesn't matter what they have, or I should say what they don't have. Right. But they're happy inside. Their soul is happy. And yeah. that just transgresses through them and, and into their whole physicality. Oh, yeah. And that beautiful smile that they have is it's, just it, unreal. Oh, it's amazing. And they're very, very giving, very open people, which is fantastic. And I'll tell you, for me, the most humbling experience about being in the mountains it's finding yourself at 13,000 feet. I mean, I've gotten as high as 20,000 feet. Yep. And having a neck ache from looking up, up. at all these peaks. Yes, yes. I, I mean, here we are at the altitude. It usually takes us about 15 minutes on an aircraft to get. <laughs> and here I am with a sore neck from looking up yeah. at peaks. It's so humbling. Yeah, it's like being in a fishbowl. And you're at the bottom of the bowl no matter how high you, you go. go. It's Absolutely. ridiculous. That was my my very first thought when I caught my breath finally making it to base camp was looking up at the peak of Everest and thinking, this is where it starts. Exactly. Are you kidding? <laughs> this is the beginning. It took me nine days and everything I had to get here. And I mean, it's just such an incredible experience, the whole thing. And I mean, obviously the jump is amazing and the view is amazing. Sure. But for me, uh, being able to see it as well as do all that stuff. Huh. Now, you said you were up at 20,000 feet. Where'd you go? I went to uh, Imjatse, which is Island Peak. Island Peak. That's yeah. actually my my potential goal for vacation this year. Dude, I want to see if it. I can break the 20,000 foot mark. It's amazing. Go do it. It's got to it's, be. It's it's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I try and explain to people there, they're like, you got bit by the bug. You want to go climb all that stuff? And I'm like, Island Peak, from what I've been told, is kind of the bunny slope of, of the Himalayas. It's not that, you know, I mean, it's very much a, just a, a trudge. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, I can't imagine trying to do anything bigger than that. No, I can. I, I wouldn't want to. I never got honestly. bit by that bug. <laughs> no, me neither. I, but you know what? It was my 50th birthday. And that was my gift to myself. That was mine too. Yep. That was, I, I turned 50 this year and I'm like, nope, I'm going to do this. This is, I'm finally going to hit this yeah. goal. Uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the the suffering of it. It was very uh, cleansing to use a, 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 an apt word. Um, to every single day is just beautifully painful. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it just gets worse. And the, the funniest part is that when you go and people tell you the, the schedule, they're like, okay, on day one, you're going to climb to this altitude. And the second day, you're going to get a rest day. Well, what they don't tell you that the rest day means that you have to climb even higher, higher. and then come back down to rest. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? How, is that a, how, how do you imagine that that's uh, yep, a rest day? Yep. And, and whose imagination does that, and whose vocabulary is that a rest, rest day? day? I know it. I know it. Yeah, it was, I, I actually took an entire month specifically so that I could say, oh, no, I need an actual rest day <laughs> as well as the rest day. Right. Their, their acclimatizing day is not restful. Not at all. You know, I went all the way up to, when I was in Namchi was the first uh, uh, day. And I hiked all the way up to the Hillary Overlook, um, so way, way up to the top. And and uh, wow, I bit off a lot more than I thought I could chew at the time. And and was sitting up there going, "Fuck me, I've got to go all the way back down." <laughs> <Right>. there. <laughs> and then sleep in Namchi. And I actually stayed an extra night just for that because I also made the mistake of deciding that uh, I could stuff my pack with everything I thought I might need, and then yeah. not have a porter. Yeah, um, no. Wow. God bless you for doing that, man. You're a better man than I. I left a lot of my shit. And this is, again, where where the, the uh, friendliness of the Nepalese people is huge because you can leave all the stupid shit you didn't actually need at your hotel when you go up. Yeah. So I left like half my pack there uh, to go up from there because it was just too much. I bet. Too I much. Bet. So um, – Skydive Everest is, has done quite well. Um, the well. clients that I saw that you guys had this year were hilarious. Right. Um, super amped up. And imagine for everybody listening, you you know skydiving, you know tandem students. But imagine a tandem student on the most expensive tandem skydive on the planet um, at this ridiculous elevation. And then add oxygen and all this technical stuff in a really intense environment. So imagine you've got that nervous student. But in those environments, and I watched – what was the name of the tandem instructor this year? Uh, it was um, – I can't recall his name. Russian. Yeah, the Russian guy. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. Now awesome. He was, he was hilarious as well. But watching him deal with a clearly borderline panicking student, especially because his girl had gone. Before so, him. Yeah, exactly. So it's girl power. The girl yeah. jumped. I have to go. There's no choice, especially for that price tag. Um, and watching him have to work through that whole situation. Situation and then land, not just with the normal tandem buzz that people get, but that. Holy shit. He and, was hilarious. And doing a stellar job at that. I'm yeah. Dad. Yeah. He, that, that was his first time on the mountain. Yeah. Doing that. And he did great. He was lit on fire. And I, I will admit, uh, I had preconceived notions about someone that can afford that tandem. And be helicoptered in and, and all that stuff and helicoptered up to base camp. And right. again, that's a little bit of that ego climbing. And I'm like, who the fuck do these people think they are? Did They didn't make it to base camp. They flew up there. And then I met him and he was absolutely charming. Wasn't he awesome? Super, super what nice folks. Um, Self-made money. And, and so uh, it was kind of a slap in the face to me to stop the whole preconceived judging shit. Because he was not what I expected when I actually got to talk yeah, to him. Shouldn't judge a book by its cover. No, no. And, you know, it's moments like this that really put it right in front of you, oh, right yeah. in front of your face and make you realize, you know what? God bless him. Oh, yeah, God absolutely. Bless him for everything that he's done for himself. And now he's getting to share it with his, for himself and for his wife. I mean, it's great. It's absolutely. Amazing. Well, and they were, um, it was funny because they finished the jump after being absolutely terrified. And almost the first words out of both of their mouths was that they wanted to join you and your team at Skydive Egypt. In Egypt, exactly. To go jump the pyramids. The pyramids. How amazing right. is that? That's another great thing that right? I've been able to do. I mean, I've been a consultant for Skydive Egypt, and I've been working with those guys and trying to help them figure out the best way to do things. And so I'm really blessed that I've gotten to do already, God, how many jumps? About six jumps already over the pyramids, and now we're going to go again in June. So for all of you that are listening, if you want to come and join and jump over the pyramids, June 11th through the 16th, Skydive Egypt, come join us. The most incredible time of your life. So I mean, amazing. It's, it's one thing to see the pyramids and to visit them, but to jump over them. Oh, it's, it's got to be. It's a different feeling. It's got to be. The energy is beyond unbelievable. Not to mention you get to jump from a C-130. Which doesn't suck. <laughs> no, yeah. not at all. I've only been able to do that once and it was ridiculous. So, yeah. yeah. I, I was lucky enough on a, a ferry flight to, uh, to be able to fly over Egypt and fly over Cairo and, and to see the uh, pyramids there and then um, ended up being able to go for one night to see the the pyramids up close and personal. So I can't even imagine being able to jump over it because it was as jaw-dropping as you'd expect it to be. Jump over it, swoop them, 
and land right next to them and pack surrounded by these pyramids by the and pyramids. by their beautiful energy. Oh, it's, it's gotta incredible. Be. It's got to be. Incredible event. So that's a bucket list uh, item for sure. Absolutely. So what uh, what comes next? What's the what's the next phase of, of Omar skydiving in, in uh, you uh, know, career? You know, I'm really not sure, but I'll tell you what just happened last week. I got to jump in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Wow. I'm Saudi. And for me, the possibility to finally jump at home, something that I had been wanting to do for so many years, mm. finally showed itself. And I was able, I was invited by the the aviation club over there, the Saudi Aviation Club. And it was amazing. There, uh, there was a group of about 20 local skydivers. And here's the beauty about the Saudi skydivers. Normally, you have an air show, right? So, you you know, you bring the creme de la creme, you bring the best jumpers, and right. you have them jump. Basically, since there's no skydiving in Saudi Arabia, there's an air show. Skydivers can jump. Boogie! Bring everybody <laughs> over and let's all go jump. And that's what it was. I mean, awesome. we only got to do hop and pops. I think the highest altitude we got was 6,000 feet. Mm. But at the end of the day, we all got to jump. Every one of those Saudi jumpers got to jump. I was even able to do a three-way with two other Saudi guys and jumping from 5-5. We ended up throwing out a flower, then start carving around. <laughs> yeah. And we got to do a free flight jump on a hop and pop over Riyadh. God, it doesn't get any better. Yeah, in your that. home country and in a place that uh, was never accessible for a sport like that. Never. And so what would be the next step? My dream would be to be able to go to Saudi Arabia and open up a drop zone over there. How that, cool would that be? That would be a dream come true. It's, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've had a few friends that have been able to have milestone moments in their lives. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, a guy by the name of Maha, was able to jump into Carnival in Brazil. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, it brought tears to his eyes to be Absolutely. able to do stuff like this, you know. Uh, so being able to jump in and... It's very difficult as an American because I take it for granted. Um, we've had everything on a silver platter for as long as I can remember. You want to go jump out of an airplane, throw a rock, you're going to find a drop zone. Um, I didn't know before I was a skydiver that there were two highly prominent drop zones within a 30-minute drive from where I was raised. Exactly. And I didn't know that until right. after I moved away and became a skydiver and went, holy shit, that's like that's in my backyard. Right. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't compute that that wouldn't be accessible. Uh, for a lot of my British friends that they can't jump because it's shit weather all the time. Um, so I'm spoiled in, you know, being an American jumper and coming up in that. So being able to, again, go and jump in your home country, how incredible. Yeah. I mean, for me, the closest was helping set up Skydive Dubai and being able to jump over there. That sure. was amazing for me. Yeah. And so now to be able to take it to the next step and actually jumping in my home city of Riyadh and to be able to think about setting up a drop zone over there. Dream come true. That's so cool. Dream That's so true. cool. Well, and the other huge thing that that highlights is um, the complete uselessness of um, the saying that uh, this country's good. This country's yeah. we're friends in, in skydiving. Everybody's from. I don't give a fuck Everybody where is. you're from. I don't care. Play in the air. Who you are, what sex you are, what color you are, what sexual orientation. None of that matters. That's we're it. just skydivers. Let's That's just it. go jump out of planes. That's it. You know, Let's which go is have fun together yeah, which is amazing. I call it the biggest sandbox in the world. Yeah, the absolutely, absolutely. We're little kids at the end of the day, just playing the sandbox. Yeah, no, no it's and and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I work hard, but I work hard at something that I love. You know, right. basically, I get paid to play, but it's hard play. <laughs> That's it. When you find your passion and you follow your passion, you don't work a day in your life. No, 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 no absolutely not. Now, I always ask people as we wrap things up a couple of different questions. One is, uh, you've got a new jumper just getting into the sport. What advice do you give to them for longevity and, and staying safe and, and enjoying? And if you've got a jumper that's not as jazzed by skydiving as they used to be, um, they're trying to decide. They're on the fence. Should I just hang it up and sell the gear? Should I? What's your advice to either of those groups? Well, let's take the second one first. For the person who uh, who feels that They've had it with the sport and, you know, they're bored with it. Grow or die. Mm. It's that simple. You know, I took up jujitsu when I was 51 years old. I became a vegan now at 53. So, you know, you have to adapt. You have sure. to change. If you think that by doing the same things all the time, you're going to evolve, you're not. Mm. So change it up a little bit. Trust me, there's a lot of disciplines in the sport. And unless this guy who wants to hang it up already has 10, 15, 20,000 jumps, if we're talking about a guy who's got uh, 500 or 1,000 jumps, mm. 
there's a lot more for you to learn and sure. you just haven't scraped the surface. Sure. So go and try other things, try new things. I don't care if it's swooping, I don't care if it's free flying, I don't care whatever it is, uh, wingsuit flying, you name it. There's a thousand and one things that you can learn and become better at. Mm. And the one thing that I've learned throughout my jumps, throughout my career, is that the more I jump, the more I realize how little I know. Oh, yeah. There's so much to learn. Oh, yeah. There's so much information there. Um, as for uh, the first-time jumper who wants to know how to have longevity in the sport, be smart. Mm. Be smart and don't be in a hurry. Mm. You know, a lot of times people are in a hurry. They want they want a smaller container. So how can I get a smaller container that fits right. better, that flies better? By getting right. a smaller canopy. How do I get a smaller canopy? Oh, well, it's okay. I'm not going to do that many jumps. I'm good enough now. Well, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Mm. And if you're not, you're probably going to make a big mistake. And it's going to, you know, if you're lucky, it's going to be a cheap lesson with just a tip fib. Yep. But if it's not, it might be your life. Yep. So at the end of the day, take your time. There's no hurry. Yeah. And the the most important thing, th- I tell this to my daughter, I tell this to everyone, have fun. Because mm. if it's not fun, why the hell are you doing it? Exactly. Like, you know, it's funny. I'll mention something that happened. I was at a boogie. I was working at a boogie in Corsica. And uh, part of the, the boogie was divided into two. It was uh, one, half of the, half of the time was, uh, half of the group, I should say, was an actual regular boogie style jump in. Mm-hmm. And the other one, they were doing uh, uh, like a course on, uh, you know, a certain type of free flying, kind of VRW, okay. more, more technical side. Mm. And I'd look at the, the people in the boogie side. And they'd all be smiling and having an amazing time. <laughs> right. And then I looked at the guys in the class who were, you know, the same group doing five, six jumps a day. Mm. And they were, you know, they were dirt diving the jumps and then they were doing the jumps. And they were all stressed out. Sure. They were all panicking. They're all worried that they would fuck up. They were all, I'm like, dude. What the hell are you doing? Right. Why are you guys doing it? The whole point is that it's free flying. Right. It's to be free. It's to have fun. Yeah, education is good and it's very important. But at the end of the day, it shouldn't supersede your fun. You shouldn't just be panicking and stressing because you're scared that you're going to mess up in your jump. Right. You know, I understand that being the mentality if you're going to do a free fly world record and you're sure. amongst a hundred and God knows how many other jumpers sure. trying to do something. And yeah, I can understand that stress there and it makes sense and you should be stressed. Sure. But if you're just an education and you want to have fun, dude, go learn in a fun, easy, relaxed manner. Absolutely. I uh, I can't imagine uh, having my entire skydiving career be like the week uh, it, that I did my AFF course with Billy Rhodes. It was the <laughs> right? worst week of my fucking life. Exactly. I can't imagine going, yeah, this is just what I do now. Yeah, no. That just, just sounds brutal. I mean, uh, you've got to be able to take it a little easier and have some fun with it. The best thing that ever happened to me was actually stepping away uh, from jumping for about almost four years. I didn't step away from the sport because I was flying, but I stepped away from jumping for about four years until um, the idea of going out to make a jump made me nervous. And then I went, oh, the butterflies are back. <laughs> right. And I became a born-again fun jumper because I, like a lot of people, started out in the sport and was working in the sport almost right away just to pay for it. And next thing you know, I'm chucking drugs and shooting video, and that's all I did. And then it takes the fun away from Yeah, you. and I didn't do any fun jumping because right. I, after 15 tandems, who wants to go, you know? You're tired. V- very few people. Yeah, You're very sore. few people. It's hard, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and, and don't get me wrong. Skills camps are good. Yes. It's, oh, it's absolutely. Good. It's good to join a group and try to better yourself, but you can also have a different have fun pers- with it. perspective. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what? If you fuck up, that's why it's a skills camp. It's not a pro camp. Yep. It's a, a place for you to learn. And if you mess up, so what? You mess up, and then on the next one, maybe you learn from it and you become better. Oh, yeah. One and of the enjoy. biggest, have one fun, of the, fun, one, fun. Of course. I mean, one of the most freeing things I ever learned in my life was there's always somebody better than me. Sure. It's an amazing For lesson sure. to learn because it really takes the pressure off. I mean, uh, I watch these guys that are the best of the best and I see the stress they put themselves under because they've got to maintain that. I don't have to maintain shit. I need to go out and have fun. <laughs> and that's why I say, dude, I suck. Yeah. Everyone else is great and yeah. I really don't care. My my whole goal in flying is to have fun. Have fun. And to have fun with the person. And a lot of people ask me, you know, what's your favorite part of jumping? And you know what it is? It's very simple. It's seeing that expression in your face, that look in your eyes when we're in the air together. That's it. That's what it's all about. That was one of the ways that I was able to um, enjoy 
um, doing tandems and shooting videos for so long was sitting with a camera helmet, a miserable camera helmet on my head, looking at someone having the most, you know, amazing time of their lives right in front of me 15 times a day, you know, 20 times a day. I'm watching someone have the time of their life and it's infectious. Um, yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. And especially, you know, you'll go out and do a fun jump with friends, uh, and, uh, everybody's just grinning ear to ear. It doesn't matter what's happening in the skydive. There's no goal other than to have fun. And it's fantastic. How beautiful is that? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get much better. Now, um, as we wrap up, people want to find out about how to go jump over the pyramids. Is there a website they can go to? How do they find out? How do they contact? Uh, We could have wrapped this up. I'm having so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You can go on the website and their webpage. It's Jump Like a Pharaoh on Facebook. Awesome. You can go on there and just sign up. Awesome. Now, do you have a do you have a public uh, page people can reach out if they want to find out more about uh, that? If they want to find out about uh, Saudi or anything like that? Yeah. Well, there's my uh, Omar Al Hajlan athlete page on Facebook. Cool. And usually I post just about everything that I'm doing on there. So uh, feel free to go on there, hit the like button, and join me. Awesome. uh, Let's have some fun together. And who knows? We can uh, if you feel like jumping in Antarctica. If you want to jump in the North Pole. If you want to jump over next to uh, Everest. If you want to jump. over the pyramid. Let's go do it. They're all there. They're all accessible. They're all available. What a fucking list. What a list. <laughs> <laughs> yes, guys, you should all join Omar and all that stuff. I, I certainly will try. If nothing else, just to, to say that I've been there and seen it and done it. Uh, Omar, thank you so much for taking the time. I guarantee people are going to love hearing this. We'll try and get you back in and find out how things continue. Dean, it was a pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much, sir. Take care. Bye. There it is. Another great episode of Lunatic Fringe into the void in the can. I am the fucking pilot. As always, it is brought to you by the one and only Blue Skies Magazine, the greatest magazine in the known universe. Head to blueskiesmag.com to check out uh, previously published issues, to subscribe, to submit those photos, to submit those article ideas. A lot of changes coming with Blue Skies Magazine that you are going to love. So, time to really, really dig in deep and check them out. Uh, As for me, I am the fucking pilot. You find me at thefuckingpilot.com. Net. That's where you're going to get uh, links to this podcast as well as both the books that I've written, The uh, Accidental Stripper and The Fucking Pilot Book, both available in digital and print form. Again, thank you so much for joining us for Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. We'll see you next time.